for that bit of music to get us started. That was his great-great-grandfather Arthur Cooper's song, I Just Ain't Ready, 
recorded for Malico Records. All right, well, welcome you all. It's uh, good to have a chance to process some of the conversation we had last night about Albert Murray and Ralph Ellison. And I wanted to start off with talking a little bit about you know why the material, why it was on the syllabus for me, um, what I wanted to get out of it uh, myself as a reader. And so I'm curious how our conversations and your own encounter with the material uh, both sort of overlap with that, but maybe say something uh, different or see something different in the material. One of the things I think is really important about the trajectory of the course so far is if we think about Christian, Bloom, and Heidegger, it's this emerging question of what constitutes a tradition and how does the tradition have life or how does the tradition not have life. For me, that's part of what is so challenging about Heidegger is the way in his deep pessimism he wants to argue that in the European context, tradition is at best at a point of crisis and at worst dead. And that is, you know, the figure of the Greek temple, as we talked about, um, you know, last couple of weeks, is where I really locate this anxiety for Heidegger, where it's like if the gods don't gather at the temple, you know, where does a sort of transcendent relationship to history, transcendent relation to memory, where does that uh, get located in our engagement as readers and writers and thinkers? That crisis for Heidegger is also a crisis in a different way for Barbara Christian, which is how, of course, we started, which is her account there of, you know, I can count the number of black feminist critics on one hand. So there is no black feminist critical theory tradition. We are building it as we write. So thinking of those as sort of two bookends of extreme pessimism in this relation of beginning. In between there is Bloom and that little snippets from Senghor where for Bloom, of course, it's about the sort of patriarch and slaying the patriarch, and that's what the strong poet does. Um, and that drama where the sustaining features of tradition are the violence against it, right? And the violence of creating the new. But what I think emerges with somebody like Senghor is two things, right? One, thinking about the post-colonial African state, which for him is a vision of the future. He's writing it in a moment of still colonial rule, the 1940s. But thinking about a post-colonial state and culture that is able to retrieve something from the African past or the Senegalese past, that the colonial idea of what an archive is and what a tradition is could not admit. So that moment where Senghor is talking about the richness of oral traditions and tales, and he says, you know, we put this in writing, make it part of a school system, we begin to create a tradition that predates colonialism and carries us into the post-colonial state. And so when we turn to Ellison and, and Murray, what I find so compelling about them, of course, is their location of, of the origins of tradition in sound, in the blues tradition. That is a whole aesthetic. That is a whole set of ideas. But also I wanted to introduce, you know, just here for our conversation and whether or not you all want to pick it up, I think a lot about how that expands our sense of the archive. Like, what does it mean to talk about the black intellectual tradition as a writerly tradition? It means sort of, you know, Richard Wright becomes this signature figure of setting a new sort of idea of the novel and sociology and expressive culture in motion. But if we pull back behind that to think about the blues tradition as animating even the literary tradition, right, as the origins of all of this, I think we have this expansive and really amazing sense of what an archive is, like an archive of, of African-American thought. Because he does, he, you know, we, we talked about it last night, about this phrase, the, the idea emotion in Ellison. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But uh, also there's this evocation in the, the Hero in the Blues book by Murray of sound as, as, as memory and create, creativity. Memory and creativity at the same time, right? A link to the past and something emerging in the future. That that's coming through sound in the relationship that the player has to sound, that storytelling has to sound. And so that expansion of the archive and an alternative genealogy of what a tradition is and how it has roots is what I wanted to put out there with Murray and Ellison. And I think it, for me, it makes me look at Senghor differently, the way he's also expanding this idea of what the African archive would look like, mm -hmm. that the African archive would look like um, 
the oral tradition, right? The, that we don't need simply written traditions, that expressive traditions are the root of tradition, and those come in manifold, uh, what come to us in manifold ways, and that the privileging of sort of the, the precursor and the strong poet misses these vernacular cultural formations that for oppressed people are not just like, it's not like that's the only way they could express themselves. It is how they express themselves, how they made a world, how they made memory and history. And so picking that up as a different way into all the big questions around influence, tradition, history, and memory, it just seems so essential to encounter these questions of sound and culture. So what I'm curious what you all found interesting about the reading conversation or even, even maybe what I was talking about here. Yeah, so immediately I think of hymns, you know, on plantations and how those were a part of the African-American oral tradition, which then, of course, like led us into the blues as they mm -hmm. sung songs like, you know, go down Moses mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. you know, let my people go. Uh, that, in a sense, was capturing the essence of what later became the blues that you know, innate feeling that communal struggle and use of music as a means of survival, um, which later became translated into the secular and then into mm -hmm. blues, um, which just speaks to the African tradition, African oral tradition and archive outside of just how we think about text as just being written, you know, expanding what we consider to be a part of a tradition um, and building upon one another and transforming it into something new as opposed to destroying it and trying to create something new. And I think that evocation of, of, of the hymns or, you know, I'm thinking also when I was constructing the syllabus, of course, I wanted this week to have like a million readings. We can't, yeah. <laughs> we can't read everything. But the final chapter of Souls of Black Folk, yeah. right, is on the spirituals. Mm -hmm. And that's also a similar kind of argument to, to what you were just saying, and um, that the, the, what Du Bois calls, but also Frederick Douglass calls the slave songs, right? Mm -hmm. That these root a tradition. But I also think, just to add to what you were saying, it's also so important to think about the humanity of enslaved people, right? That mm -hmm. the, the enslaved people were not just, just like, you know, uh, people living post-Reconstruction in the South, right? These aren't, um, you know, data points. They aren't robots. They aren't machines. They aren't inert, right? The human beings who are creating worlds uh, under, you know, unthinkable conditions, but nevertheless creating worlds in the way that world is inherited and transformed, as you were saying, right, from the hymn to the blues, from the, the sacred to the secular. And that's, those are conflicts, right? Those are vicious conflicts, right? Mm, yeah. And, but that's, those conflict is part of what makes tradition exciting, right? That, you know, traditions are never uniform, but those are also conflicts and not not slayings, right, right. Of, of, of bloom, so. Yeah, even to piggyback what, um, what Timmy said that about, like, the, I'm thinking about, um, about how, I think it was, El yeah, it was Ellison talking about Bessie Smith as, like, a priestess, mm -hmm. and how I associate, like, blues in the jazz club as, like, the church outside of the, uh, outside of the church, or at least that's how, like, a lot of literary, um, uh, authors like Toni Morrison in jazz or um, James Baldwin associate like always have like the church and the jazz club always like within the same novel or like them like one goes in, like we're once you're coming out the jazz club you go to church like those like back and forth mm -hmm. and I'm thinking about like obviously like how I mentioned like the rapture within um, what Ellison is describe, describing within um, blues like I'm thinking about um, obviously like how like these spaces where like where blues or where jazz is uh, being played or, and is also being felt but it's also being like it's also like like what Kristen said about like train like having this out of body well it's not well yeah out of body experience like but it's more like an inscape like you're so like like how how blues like kind of 
is like invokes this embodied experience that's like transcends us right and it's not only obviously memory but it's also like i guess an alternative reality or like alternative identities or alternative like modes of being and that's why like the jazz club scene is so like risque like it's violent it's hypersexual and all that stuff but like and it's not to like be seen as like animalic or like at least that's like how it's like co constantly framed but i'm thinking about like this is just like where people get to be Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about, and I'm I'm trying to think of like non jazz or blues related like like novels that like have that type of um, that that rhythm. And I'm thinking, and then when you told talked about Invisible Man, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, like you can definitely see like the blues how it, like it sings and stuff like that, or like when and I also thinking about like when people say like when like are like when black people say like oh i'm not feeling it like oh this is not good i'm not really feeling the book i'm not really feeling the food I'm not really like it's really like all embodied i'm trying and i'm really seeing how blues really is foundational to like black culture and tradition and also our ways of knowing as well like i'm yeah. feeling yeah and i like that that sort of the the relationship of rapture or ecstasy or however we want to mm -hmm. talk about it the idea emotion which is a phrase i really like from mm -hmm. ellison the way that that being in the body mm -hmm. rather than outside the body because yeah. as you were saying caitlin it's like the that movement back and forth the sacred being that space of sort of outside the body the spirit, yeah, the spirit. um but the the club as this place of of in the body mm -hmm. and for me it's this interesting you know to just to bring in another another author an interesting um uh, companion to what Angela Davis says is so important about Bessie Smith and Ma Rainey's music mm. that talks about getting on trains and cars and this idea that movement, freedom of movement for people who were not allowed to move mm. for centuries. Now, thinking about what, what being black and embodied in the world means, right? Whether it's from 1619 or from 2023, what mm. that, that embodiment means and then what it means in the club. Right, yeah. that has a kind of, you know, you, you were talking about rapture. I was thinking of the, another R word, which is a kind of redemption. It's mm -hmm. like we, the, the body comes back in those moments oh out of a sense of need. And so the sexuality of the club is one expression of that. But it's sort of like the like sexuality is just like one word for this broader sort of, um, I don't want to say reclaiming of the body. That's a little too formulaic. But but the the reminder that bodies are free, just like mm, in movement that Angela wow. Davis really documents. And I think like what what when he says priestess, it's like the spirit in the body, right? For people who have bodies that function so in such fraught and terrifying ways in the world. Yeah, and I really I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay, but I was like yeah about like how the how the how the jazz club or blues like like allows us to love our body like i'm thinking about like um and toni morrison's beloved how like uh baby shugs like her main she wasn't preaching about a god like she was talking about like love your body love your neck love your love your shoulders stuff like that especially when like uh, like especially since the novel takes place a couple of years after like the emancipation so i'm thinking about like as like our bodies were being commodified our bodies were not really ours you know slavery starts even in the womb blackness mm -hmm. starts in the womb and i'm thinking about like yeah exactly how this like this jazz form which i guess is why it's probably different than like hymns because i was thinking like when you said that's like why didn't why doesn't murray start with the like spiritualities right i mean like with the hymns and the negro spirituals and stuff like that or even like goth possible and i realized like obviously like since emancipation we return to like see our bodies as our own and love it as it is rather than like the commodity of it or using it to get what we want or etc etc so yeah mm -hmm. thinking about embodiment and all the conversations that we've been having about that and then improvisation which we talked about in class for a while like i was thinking about bringing up tap as this combined form of music creation and dance mm -hmm. that is like about improvising through like movement and music and it comes from an african-american tradition in blues and jazz as well as like an irish dance tradition mm. combined um and it's such an improvisation based like art form um and dance form and each movement and each breath you take is like finding this new way of living which is what <laughs> we talked about um and like a new way of like 
being embodied and living in your space on the stage or like out on the street where a lot of like tap and vibration happens. Mm -hmm. um, so I just wanted to bring that in as like another one of these art forms that's like speaking to that tradition. Mm. Yeah, and there's something really interesting too about about the way tap is is an art form that also has just found objects, right? That you yeah. that you, you know, I mean, obviously they're like expensive tap shoes and all that, but I mean, it, initially it's just you nail metal pieces or yeah. wood blocks to your shoes, mm -hmm, and that yeah. sense of being able to take, you know, change a sense of embodied relationship to the earth, right? Because mm -hmm. that, that, you know, it, it puts you on the earth, that's the whole source of the sound, in a different way. And that, as you say, that sense of improvisation, that sense of rhythm, that sense of ecstasy and intact performances, you know, the, the crowd swells as the, as the sound picks up, as the movements pick up, yeah. Yeah, and even thinking about, you know, people using crushed cans and tying those to their shoes in some way when it comes mm -hmm. to tap. But I wanted to think of another um, example that I mentioned in class in thinking about the African-American oral tradition and archive when it comes to improvisation. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to mention my great-grandfather who um, was a blues artist, grew up in a town called Sardis, Mississippi, which is in the Delta. And just this morning, I discovered another half or the other side of the record to one of his songs that my family hadn't heard before. Hmm. We heard the first version, which is full of improvisation with guitar, um, with a lot of guitar and instruments and trumpet riffs as a part of the instrumental. Um, but the other side I discovered this morning um, was a very different performance and experience. It was uh, slower, much more conversational, um, had a talking prelude before entering the song and it just goes to show the variety and range of blues and what that means for the oral tradition, especially when it comes to just African-American writing and, and performance and many different ways mm. yeah that's a, a hard thing about those words blues and jazz is is it suggests they've they uh, describe something containable <laughs> I mean, yeah. these are vast i mean even just in you know in in uh, murray's you know sort of listing of names he's like lewis armstrong duke ellington charles mingus and you're like if you go listen to those three, they almost sound like completely different genre, mm. but they're part of this. And that's that's where the thinking about blues and jazz as both tradition and idea emotion is so mm -hmm. important for me because it allows these things to be expansive in that way so that you can just turn the record over and get a completely different expressive medium. Mm -hmm. right? Um, and when I teach this uh, course on Angela Davis, we focus on her Blues Legacies book, um, and <clears throat> students I try to get students to listen to the songs that are that are being referenced. And initially, they're like they all kind of sound the same. Mm -hmm. But then when you read, you start to hear the difference. You know, there's like longing for travel, longing for mm -hmm. movement, and that sort of freedom song. And then there are some songs that would get censored on the radio today. <laughs> and then there's those moments where yeah, I know the students are listening because they come in and they're like, that song was kind of like. Make sure your parents aren't around, <laughs> you know. But that goes to like the multiple modes of, of 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 ecstasy and rapture, and you know the multiple needs of the body, right? Under uh, conditions of anti-blackness, right? that it's not just you know sexual freedom, it's not just travel freedom, it's not just expressive freedom. It's all those elements of freedom. That's, it's funny because that's like a word that doesn't really come up in the readings from yesterday is a notion of freedom. Mm -hmm. But um, I mean, I think that's one of Angela Davis's sort of discoveries in this discourse, but that's another conversation altogether. So what else sort of stuff came up for you all? I was really thinking about, um, about the lamenting, but also like before, I guess we go into that, I was thinking about the improvisation and how like the pre question of that is like practice because i'm thinking about like all these notions about like oh like 
like like another part of like i guess like this the black imagination or like imagination of black people in arts is that like it's effortless that yeah. like instinct oh, instinct it's like innate yeah. uh, this yeah. is we're just natural born we can just dance walk out dancing and stuff like that and i was like that would be great if everybody <laughs> could just randomly play like miles davis but right. it turns out it doesn't really work that way right and i think it's i think it was important to like like to actually say like no this is like from practice and i think like maybe the practice is not as visible as we see like i guess like like because every day like i think was it was it characteristics of a negro expression where um where hurston was talking about like how the everyday like there's something that we do that's like a form of practice uh, yeah. i think she talked about what she talked about language like movement like mm-hmm. how like mm-hmm. these everyday things like are just tapping like just mm-hmm. like just snapping like do 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 like in our everyday is like that's a form of practice in like play songs physical movement literally walking yeah running, dancing yeah exactly how like that builds up over time as well so i just wanted to just say like i really like the fact that like it kind of counteracts like no we're not just born this way which again like another one of this like essential biological essentialism with black people that we're just oh we're just so creative we are but like <laughs> also it's like it doesn't come out of nowhere right which i think is also part of like a lot of the antagonism that comes towards us like why are you born this way why are you like naturally good at this blah blah, blah. but it's like no like yeah and I think, you know, we didn't talk about this last night, but I thought I would just put it out there. You know, we talked about improvisation, but, you know, hearing you talk, Caitlin, I'm also reminded that um, of when Murray is talking about Malraux and he says, you know, quotes Malraux on or paraphrases him on tradition. He's like, it's like a, um, I forget the exact phrase, but it's a stylization of the people. Yeah. Like traditions, like the expressive sort of like surges in a tradition are the stylizations of a people mm-hmm. and when you have that sense of of you know i think this is the content of 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 african-american cultural history is like a group of people given nothing who managed to take the the bits and pieces that li- sort of were left over stylize them into everything mm. right whether that's music or cuisine or religion you know, I mean, how did African American religion become what it was yeah. in an era when you know African Americans weren't allowed to read? Nevertheless, creating that's a stylization, right, of what remains. And I think that stylization thing he uses Malraux, and it's really interesting because, of course, Malraux is talking about the French, mm-hmm. and that's a whole different idea of like what's been given and what's being stylized. But he pulls that into this moment of African-American culture to, I think, underscore, you know, even just the way you joked, you were like, you know, people say we're naturally this, blah, 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 and you're like, but we are, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sense of like, yes, we stylize everything is, I think, what Murray is trying to get at. We mm-hmm. stylize everything. So Marot says this to sort of urge the French to be, you know, stylizing, but it's like, mm-hmm. it ends up being like a d- direct description of yeah. African-American life. This gets into the idea of like practice as a way of life. Like when you mm. live by something, you're practicing this way of life. Um, so I think maybe like thinking of the blues and jazz as like like practice, yes, in the like oh you practice your instrument, you practice your art, but also like as like a practice for living, you mm. know, which yeah. is kind of what you were saying, Caitlin. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I like that. <laughs> yeah, you said it way better than I did. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, that's, there is a lot of that in, um, I, th- I think the, the more lyrical music gets sort of across African-American history, the more you can see the importance of the everyday, right? The way, you know, vernacular phrasing turns up in, you know, an R&B or soul song or hip hop, especially. I think the way the phrases end up being the musicality, but those phrases are everyday practices that are just brought into the music rather than the music being the moment of stylization. Mm. It's like, that's the genius, right? It's the person who's able to, you know, genius in quote marks. I don't know if we want to use that word, but I mean, Bloom kind of ruins that word. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I always kind of like it, but uh, Bloom really makes it a kind of an uncomfortable word. But, um, you know, the, you know, the, the, the innovator is the one who's able to take those everyday practices 
and do something really special with them. You know, as you, when, you know, when you mentioned tap, right? It's, you know, tap may be this sort of everyday rhythm that people just sort of are doing, maybe just as mm -hmm. Herson saying, just in the ambling down the street. Mm -hmm. But then the tap dancer is one who says, I'm gonna transform my shoes and I'm gonna ritualize this mm -hmm. and draw you as a listener or viewer into that ritual. So the relationship between what you're calling like life practice and ritual, I think is actually, there's a lot there to be said. Yeah. yeah. And I even think that the rituals speak to the indefinable aspects of what's conveyed through the blues. Like for instance, you know, if, if something is a part of your life, something is a ritual, it becomes a part of you, right? And I think mm. that's where some people may confuse people's ability to create art as something that's innate. Mm. Um, it's a part of their tradition, it's a part of their ritual, which therefore reflects so much of themselves, but it doesn't come from nothing or it's nothing that's born with someone. Mm -hmm. um, and I think them tapping into that lived ritual or lived experience and transforming it into their art is what's definable. Yeah. You know, I think it's hard to define the combination of like all of one's life experiences into this feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Waiting for the next step. Yeah. <laughs> and I, that, uh, you know, that, that capacity of transformation and, and ritual, that's another resonance of that. Mm. Bessie Smith is a priestess, right? Mm. Is there's the priestess, and you know the way I was talking about it last night was sort of like you think of a church priest, right? Mm. Or priestess in this case, uh, gendered, um, and you know the, the 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 mediator between the divine and the human, and there is that sort of secular space of the club as as we've talked about and the sacred space of the church but there's also i think we have to hear and i'm thinking you know this word ritual is especially important this way because it's like the like like a if you go to see like a voodoo priestess, right, or a tarot card reader, or you, know, you have to like prepare yourself, right? Yeah. And they draw you in and it has magic as part of it. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and that magic of, of like cast, in the sense of like casting a spell and drawing you in. And that's why I was saying, I, I think I was saying last night or maybe I was just thinking about it, that way when we listen to music sometimes and we're not quite in the right mood for the very beginning, so we start it over, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's that mo that everyday practice of, of ritual, of like, I want to enter into this song mm -hmm. if it's not a background yeah. song, if I really want to hear it. It's like I want to enter into that song, so I have to be prepared for that ritual. You don't just walk into it, right? In the same way that walking into the jazz club, you know, in, in Sonny's Blues is like, you prepare, right? Yeah. You come in ready for a different world, mm -hmm. ready to be different. And that yeah. rapturous, I mean, that's why people love expressive culture. Yeah. It's because it's this, this release inside our body of a different kind of embodiment. Definitely. I've been thinking about that um, in terms of, you know how sometimes you can't listen to a song because you you know you're not ready for what it's going to do to you. Yeah. So you avoid it for months or years and then one day you're just like I'm going to listen to it and something releases. Yeah. You know. Yeah, those those songs I'm like I'm not ready to cry today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But even like thinking of songs as sites of memories, you yeah. know, thinking mm. of what music carries with them with it throughout time you know especially and even for instance if we listen to the blues songs of of the past and the sheer emotion that's just transferred over into the present is something that's just another incredible aspect of it i find mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. now so to, you know and I, I won't put you on the spot, but if, if you if you want to say anything about this, Timmy, I'd be interested as because you're from Mississippi. Mm -hmm. I think about Mississippi, especially the Delta and the Hill Country, yeah. right, which are mythic for the right for good reason, mm -hmm. as the 
sort of bed basket, uh, bread basket of like American culture, right? Mm-hmm. Along with New Orleans, mm-hmm. is this is where African American and therefore American culture grew up. But at the same time, I think that if you were just to ask random non, especially non-Southerners, what do you think about Mississippi? They would immediately talk about how terrible it is for Black people, mm-hmm. and that putting aside the you know right-wing white supremacist white government i mean that's just that's true everywhere so (laughs) but you know maybe more pointed in certain places than others but it's a sort of national tradition but there is an interesting thing for me and i'm I'm an outsider both racially and uh geographically because i'm not from the south but i remember like the way my own knowledge of jazz and blues and love of it changed my feeling of the landscape just driving in the delta or driving in the hill country mm-hmm. um the the way it's you know i don't want to be animist about it that the songs are somehow emerging from the soil but there is like a i think ellison and murray are actually trying to get us to see that that these spaces when you say sites of memory this is what triggered it for me those sites of memory the way landscapes themselves get transformed by our memory that that this is where we or they or however you know however one uh, relates to uh, that space where where they made a world mm-hmm. right and we have it preserved that's the sound that's the amazing thing about music and why it has uh, an archive and oral traditions have an archive because the sound carries over but it transforms landscape you know just in that same way that you know if there's a song attached to some place for all of us at a very hyper individual level, we sort of enter that space and you kind of hear the song and it evokes feelings. But this is like a trans historical, right? Um, you know, across history, across landscape, across generations, uh, possibility for music to have that sense of, of a site of memory that reanimates the land and changes those narratives of this is abject space. It's like, well, it's a place where people also made worlds. And that makes me think back to the archive and to oral histories um, and what that sort of like recorded sound does because it's a sound that can't change obviously because it's recorded and kept um, but also it gives you like a snapshot of a continual tradition and I've been thinking about, I can't remember the name of whose oral history it is but I was transcribing it years ago. Um, This man took a recorder out to um, an old slave graveyard Mm. that his family was at and while he was talking about it while there all you could hear was the wind that we were just hearing in our recording and that just like made you like I don't know like be there a little bit more in that like cold like wooded windy area Mm. at the back of the plantation you know um and just that like sound experience is really intense yeah and if i can touch on your question about just what it means to speak more about it you know i think mississippi is often you know as you mentioned thought of as just like the scapegoat for all of america's problems specifically that's the right Mm -hmm. word um but Mm -hmm. i think that growing up in mississippi and living there, understanding firsthand the experiences of the state. And while I didn't grow up in the Delta, I grew up in central Mississippi, it's just a very different way of understanding it, right? So we're talking about the tradition, we're talking about things that carry out, carry on throughout time but I think that I am the tradition you know I am a mm-hmm. product of these people's experiences I am a product of the music and listening to the blues from the perspective of oh I can't imagine what it's like back then well I think I can given that these are members of my family who have you know experienced that lived through that that the tradition has impacted to where i am today you know even being able to talk about um my great grandfather Mm -hmm. and his his um music um and 
I think it just, hmm. I think it just provides something that's hard to explain. Yeah. It's like an immediate, I get it, you know, when, uh -huh. when you hear a sound. And yeah. another example, even though I'm not from here in Maryland, listening to, for instance, Nina Simone, well, Nina Simone's cover of, or it might be her song, I'm not sure at this point, but um, her song, Baltimore. Um, where you know she she mentions the conditions of Baltimore at that time and she discusses it and hearing that song before versus now that I've had the chance to visit Baltimore ride through some of the parts mm -hmm. of town that were um, left behind or shall mm -hmm. I say purposefully yeah. you know not invested in abandoned abandoned, abandoned. yeah mm -hmm. it really changes what that song means for me and, and mm -hmm. changes what it produces in my heart yeah. and i think there's you know there would be a really interesting project of sort of mapping these these space specific songs mm -hmm. as sites of memory and even just i mean a you know like you said i mean there's so much of a story to be told about like hearing that song before and after driving through or walking through parts of Baltimore mm -hmm. in the same way that I was saying like you know having you know loved Mississippi music for a decade and then driving through Mississippi and the way the landscape is just different right mm -hmm. um, which you know Baltimore the the Nina Simone song is a political song mm -hmm. right and so the songs I was thinking of are more just I mean they're blues right so they're, they're political in a different sense mm -hmm. but also I think about you know, you you mentioned that that the flip side, of the like the B side of, of your great grandfather's um, uh, record, had talking in it, and that's yeah. always interesting yeah. to me. And this is where the archival part of blues music is so interesting. Mm -hmm. And I always wonder what Ellison and Murray were listening to if they listened to this stuff, because a lot of those Lomax recordings that are now part of the Library of Congress will mm -hmm. have talking mm -hmm. in front of them. And the way the talking relates to the song is always so interesting to me. You know, the way Ellison and Murray are so emphatic about craft and discipline and devotion. And, you know, it goes to that, you know, trying to push against that stereotype that black people are just naturally musical or something yeah. like that. But then when you hear these songs, which, um, you know, Leroy Jones or Mary Baraka uh, in blues people, he really emphasizes a kind of primal force of country blues, right? Mm -hmm. But, and, and Ellison doesn't like that because he just doesn't think it takes account of or takes, uh, you know, can account for the uh, craft of, of, of the musician. But if you hear those vocalizations leading into songs in those Lomax recordings, often they're being interviewed. And I'm thinking about this one particular interview with, with Muddy Waters before he was famous, when he just lived on the Stovall Plantation. He was being recorded. And the songs are exactly what um, Baraka's talking about. You know, they're, they're, they're stripped down and, and they just have a straightforward intensity to them. But you hear the, the talk in, and Lomax keeps talking about the open tunings on the guitar, and he keeps using these, these phrases that that uh, Morganfield and Muddy Waters that Morganfield doesn't use. So he keeps saying like open E and he's like, we call it cross note, right? And he mm -hmm. just keeps correcting him yeah. and, and Lomax just keeps giving him the, a different cultural reference, right? Open E, open G and he's like, that's Spanish tuning, right? And there's even a point in one of the vocalizations where Lomax says Spanish tuning and goes, no, Spanish, I can't really do it, but he's like, Span he's Mississippi, right? It's Spanish not Spanish, tuning. it's Spanish tuning. Yeah. And it has that accent, it's almost like, not it's almost like, it's like the words for the craft matter and how you say mm -hmm. them. And that's where you get this sense of the archive is the songs, but it's also an archive of how people talk about their craft and the sound of how people talk in their craft, like mm -hmm. Spanish tuning, the sort of enunciation that Lomax has that I would have was not Morgan Fields. And that was essential to Morgan Field to be understood as an artist. Mm -hmm. I, I always really loved that. I haven't had a chance to write about it, but someday I'll write a 50 page ramble about it <laughs> that no one will publish. <laughs> um, but yeah, and that gets to that space of improvisation as ritual, but also as discipline. 
Well, maybe we wrap up. Um, I don't know if you all uh, uh, I did want to just invite sort of, uh, I don't know what you call it, sort of gut assessment of, of Ellison and, and Murray. I would just say, I mean, I love this material and I love the way it brings the idea of ideas uh, back mm. into the body and back into a sense of shared space, which we just rarely, rarely have in academia. But these were academic articles, you know. These are yeah. these are the smartest people on earth talking, mm-hmm. yeah. and bringing our ideas back to a sense of embodiment. And the last thing I'll say is, I think the way that bleeds out of and into other ways of thinking about traditions, uh, whether it's the sense of ritual, purification, fertility, improvisation, devotion, and so forth. That's about the African-American tradition broadly. But I also think about other other articulations of, of marginalized people, whether it's it's women, you know, of uh, broadly or particular groups of women, you know, queer communities, this sense of mm-hmm. like the importance of clubs, the importance mm-hmm. of retreat spaces mm-hmm. that aren't just like, quote, safe spaces, but are actually places where um, ideas, embodiment, and that idea, emotion, takes such root. I, I really think this it sets a template that would have to be modified for each kind of experience. But I think it's very fecund and in its own way fertile. Right? It produces new things. Wow. I don't know if you all have final sort of take on, on this material. I just think they were, you know, really great. I really appreciate how it allowed us to just continue to expand what some may think of theory and and literature and you know these intellectual works that contribute to the field Mm -hmm. i really appreciate like what both of these uh texts offered in terms of like well my conception of blues like just the lamenting and it now now i think of like i'm I'm thinking of it as more of like maybe a pathway maybe um a pathway to like the other side of like lamenting or like lamenting is something that requires a response something that requires something Hmm. else right not just like a demand on the world yeah exactly so yeah uh i would just say that living with music is gonna live with me (laughs) <laughs> I absolutely love that piece uh, made me go back and listen to Duke Ellington who's not a favorite of mine but every time I uh, read Ellison or Murray I find like I go back to musicians that's the interesting thing about theory is it's if it mm-hmm. works it's supposed to make you look at the things they're talking about differently and I put on Ellington yesterday right before class and I was just like in tears I was like this is mm-hmm. the most beautiful stuff I've ever heard in my life mm-hmm. Before I started reviewing for class, I would have listened to Ellington and been, oh, these sort of orchestral, you know, I mean, it's just not quite my like particular taste, but I was like moved to tears. I was like, that's what theory is supposed to do. It's supposed to get you reconnected to things in ways that you hadn't been before. So, and all I want out of life is for people to start reading Albert Murray. That's one of my <laughs> greatest goals. So at least this week, you all had to read Albert Murray, but hopefully more. So, um, So thanks. I really appreciate you all making time and processing some of our conversations. And um, have a good rest of the day. Thank you. You too. too. Hello, darling. This is Arthur. Oh, I guess you're surprised to hear my voice again. But you see, I was in my room all along, laying across my bed, and I began to think of you. And all of the time that I stood around and waited for you, where you were in another man's arms, and there was nothing I could do, and there was nothing I could say, because you really don't belong to me. And right now, I just want to say, don't look so sad, little girl. I just ain't ready. Other kind of love you often mean, but I appreciate the love that you offer. Nothing else is love.
But I just ain't ready For your kind of love You see my love is strong But my heart Is so weak I can't stand to see you Another man on, but that is what I have been going through so many days and so many nights. I have stood around, I have waited around. Yeah. 